Before we started the episode, I wanted to congratulate my mom. She started her own private practice. I'm so thankful for this new opportunity and all the support that I've been given by family and friends and want to welcome anyone in the Columbus area who is looking for some healing and growth in their journey. Uh, you can go to my website is jhrcounseling.com and I would love to connect with you. Yeah, and you know it's good stuff. Um, the artwork was done by Emma Richards and Alexander Wells, and I helped with the website. So it looks great. So if you're in the Columbus area, definitely check out our website. Um, reach out. if Even if you reach out to the Community Roots Pod email, then we'll contact you then too. Now on with the episode. That's what we should say is that dad won a raffle. (laughs) (laughs) I'm your biggest fan. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Community Roots, a place where we gather in community to talk about mental health so we can travel the journey of life together. I'm Samuel Richards. I'm Julie Richards. And today we have a very special guest, um, none other than the dad who raised me, Mr. Todd Richards. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Hello. And uh, so a lot of our viewers, you're like thinking, uh, is this an off the beaten path and I clicked the wrong episode? No, this is a Community Roots <laughs> regular episode. We are finishing our holiday arc and we know how stressful and potentially triggering the holidays can be. So we have pulled a double time to try to get this episode out on time. So, so that we can be consistent and be there and supportive for you. Right, right. We're all in this together. And so this is our way of just going above and beyond and making sure that um, you have something to listen to next week because this is a traumatic time. So to end, so thank you, Dad, for being here. Um, it's pretty cool to have him on the show. He listens every week. Um, so as we conclude this holiday arc, we're going to be talking a little bit about grief. And just for those of you that might be wondering what that holiday arc included, we started with talking about how to deal with difficult people, difficult family and friends. Then we did part two was coping skills that can help us through the holiday season. And then today we are talking about different types of grief. And I'm glad that we're talking about the different types because even in our discussions before we started airing, there are a lot of different griefs around the holidays that I haven't even considered. Um, what I was thinking was loss of a loved one, but there are a whole ton of different types. Sure, there's the uh, loss of a dream, the loss of an identity. There is uh, the way we see other people celebrating the holidays and realize that isn't our story. So there's that loss of... Um, like some kind of cultural connection with with people. We see other people happy and celebrating, whether it's movies and TVs or on Facebook, and and that's not our story. So that's a loss. The loss of not just a, a a a human loved one, but it can also be the loss of a pet or a, or a roommate or just any kind of change is loss and grief. There can be loss related to illness, um, divorce, Mm. any kind of job instability, death, and even adoption has a tremendous amount of loss involved with that, the loss of birth parents and being relinquished and given up. Maybe just going into the holidays, realizing that it's a point of trigger for everyone, including yourself. And so even if you haven't had an opportunity to deal with things or maybe life isn't working out as perfectly as you like, now 
around this time is where that pressure really sets in. And so I think um, it's a good time to be careful with yourself as well as careful with the and supportive of the people around you. I think it's important for us to kind of note what makes the holidays such a difficult time for grief. Grief is something that tends to hit us in unexpected ways. And there are certainly layers and tangles of grief that can come at any time of year, but particularly during the holidays, it can be difficult for some of the reasons that we've been mentioning in this holiday arc about having dark days and cloudy, dismal weather. Um, I had someone say to me today, it seemed like we didn't have daylight a couple days ago, that we never did have daytime. It was just this gloomy, gray, kind of dismal. And those of you living in other parts of the country might not know what it's like (laughs) to live in Ohio, but... Our Florida listeners. (laughs) Yeah, we've got sunshine states that might not relate to this. But um, for some of us, having the darkness, also having memories of holiday time together or family times together. I've also sat with people this week in reflecting on just how the generations change and how traditions change over the years, watching their children grow up. And then suddenly they don't have what was so important before, like our little kids running to the Christmas tree and seeing what presents are under the tree. And then now the kids don't live at home. And so it doesn't feel the same anymore. Mm. Um, So transitions like that can be hard. It's also a time of year that we spend so much time with, with family and that can be tense and difficult, which is why we had our Mm. episode talking about um, being with difficult people. But it's just a, it's set up kind of like what Todd, you were talking about with kind of this idyllic view of this magical, wonderful season. It's the most wonderful time of the year. And it's set up that way. And then we have that sense of sadness or disappointment or grief that it doesn't really match the picture. We're really good. Uh, What that reminded me of is uh, the difference between history and nostalgia. Mm. So we look at, we have these memories of the past that we look at through this lens of nostalgia, which is this kind of um, almost a rose-colored lens, almost a, uh, it was better than back then. That was when life was good. Uh, It's kind of the day-to-day uh, problems of today are too heavy. And so we look at the past and go, oh, you remember when we did this, that? And that sets up a this impossible standard that we can't meet. And so as we talk about grief and we talk about grief and related to the holidays, it's it's compounded because we have this nostalgic memory of the past that isn't the same today. And it might not even be fully accurate. It's that we've right. morphed it into right. something that's more of a dream so of like what a, we wanted it to be. One of our, my favorite memories of Christmas past is you and I come downstairs we get the, we make sure everything's set. We turn the lights on, and we have a particular song that we play that the kids come down the stairs to. Well, the older they get, the less that becomes what I remember, right? Because Samuel doesn't live at home, and Noah doesn't live at home. And then there's partners, and there's other folks involved, and that changes and so I have this nostalgic view of, you remember how nice it was when we play that and they'd all come down and the look on their faces, well, that's, I can't have that anymore. And that's, that's there's a loss there. There can be sadness there's with that. There's a grief. Yeah, what that. you're forgetting is having to change Noah's diaper through <laughs> the uh, Christmas celebration. Or I'm remembering at the fighting. top of the stairs, stop doing that quickness to me. Is it time? I want to go back to sleep. That's what I don't remember because I'm living uh, in nostalgia. Another thing that impacts why the holidays make it such a difficult time for grief, and those of you that have been our listeners for a while remember our 
talk on the window of tolerance mm. and that our window is kind of shrunk, that mm. we have um, more uh, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, stress, which we say is halts. Those are kind of ways of alerting ourselves to where we need to vamp up our self-care. And the holidays are full of that, where just the busyness of the season, the expectations, we've talked about some of that before, um, all of that can make um, a grieving time of year difficult. And throw an F on the end of halts and you've got finances, Mm. right? Because you got to pay money for food and for presents and you want it all to be bigger and better and perfect and perfect so it's really wholesome <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say it that way wholesome <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think that is that calls back to our earlier episodes of coping skills and stuff like that like mom said earlier there are some days that we don't even see the sunlight. It's just gray all day. So when I think of self-care, I also think of self-compassion because not only do you have a list of things that you should be doing to make sure that you're regulated, but also a realization that you might be dysregulated. You might act or behave in certain ways that you wouldn't normally do because you're stressed and being able to take a deep breath and just say it's okay. Something else I wanted to add to self-care was self-talk because I think self-talk is really important and really soothing. Um, Sometimes whenever people think of self-talk, they think you're crazy, but self-talk is really good um, to help manage your emotions and your thought process. So being able to say to yourself, hey, I am feeling a little bit hungry and stressed because of the holidays. So I need to take a deep breath is just a quick self-talk that you can do at any point and in multiple forms and it'll help calm you down because it's built into your system that way. I was going to say one, um, what makes the holidays such a difficult time for grief is uh, unspoken expectations from family and friends on what we should and shouldn't do during the holidays. Um, We all gotta go to grandma's, or we all have to have dinner together, or we all have to open presents at the same time, yada, 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 all that is these uh, usually unspoken expectations Mm -hmm. that when we've experienced a loss of some kind, whether it's a loved one or an identity, Uh, those unspoken expectations don't necessarily go away and they're still kind of hardwired in us. So why is grief so hard to talk about? I think one of the things that makes it difficult is that we don't understand it ourselves. It's very ambiguous and hard to wrap our minds around. It's something that we're uncomfortable with when we don't know what exactly we should say. And that's one of the things we are going to list out a little bit later in our episode today is is what not to say, because I'm sure probably all of us have been recipients of things that were were not helpful. Um, But we're afraid that we might say something that could make it worse. Some people don't have that filter. (laughs) They don't worry if it's going to make it worse because they just have to fill the air with something and they will just say whatever comes to mind. And that can, that can end up um, causing some harm and some pain. And other times we just don't know what to say and we'll say nothing. As a person going through grief, um, I'm supposed to be, I'm supposed to have it all together. Um, I'm not supposed to spill my stuff on you. I don't want to ruin your holidays. I want everything to be fine where I'm, I got, I look like I have it all together and it doesn't bother me, uh, because sharing that grief seems like I'm a burden, a burden, like, um, why don't, why can't you just get over it type of stuff? So I want to, I, I'll, yeah, I'm using me generically, but you know, we tend to say, 
you know, oh, everything's, everything's fine, everything's good, when under the surface it's not. And I think one of the things that's so important to hold on to as we're processing grief is just realizing how unique it is for everybody, how much time it takes for someone to grieve is however long it takes. And there are just different layers and complexities to trying to grieve something. It's like a great big tangled up ball of Christmas lights. And at different points, we're trying to untangle pieces of it and just try to make sense of one part of it. But then later, here comes another layer and more more parts of it. That We talked earlier about how grief comes in waves. It just kind of catches us unexpectedly. And um, one quote said this, if there's one thing I learned about grief, it's that it's always surprising me disappearing one minute, returning with a vengeance another. Sometimes it surfaces in tears, other in anger and apologies. I don't understand. The smallest trigger, a similar laugh, a song, a place you drive by, and in an instant, it feels like you are flying into a time machine transported back to that moment when time stood still and they were standing next to you. And that's posted by Sky N. When C.S. Lewis in A Grief Observed said, no one ever told me that grief felt so like fear. Even when being, when others describe grief, I feel that fear in terms of just hesitancy to even allow yourself to open up to grief and even whenever you talk about the waves coming in and um, this unexpected vengeance of grief it does seem like fear and that to me emphasizes the importance of just being able to talk about it and being able to be around people you can trust that's probably why we don't like to talk about it is because seeing other people experiencing grief triggers all that in us. Mm-hmm. So like you saying that being af- afraid to feel grief because it sounds so awful and painful and full of fear, that's why we don't want to jump into it because we're afraid if we're with somebody else's grief it's going to trigger that in us which it will because that's how it works sometimes we're afraid to be happy or experience a new life because that would mean that we're moving forward or moving through something and we don't want to let go or forget or lose someone sometimes we're afraid to hurt and feel pain We might be afraid that it will never end. It'll never be okay. I'll always feel this way. That's some of the fear. There's a fear for a change in identity or new beginnings because change and transition are hard. And so it it becomes, are we able to be honest with ourselves about what's going on inside of us? And are we able to face and talk about and process these different aspects of ourself that can feel vulnerable and tender and raw and uncomfortable. And unknown and scary. Mm -hmm. It's a bunch of things that I think compound, which I feel like a broken record, but just bringing up the importance of self-care, even imagining these grief situations about talking about grief I already feel vulnerable and I'm not grieving about anything (laughs) in particular. So I think it just emphasizes how you need to make yourself a safe space and allowing yourself um, priority and giving yourself body priority as well, giving your body priority as well. In the book, The Grief Recovery Handbook, John James and Russell Friedman say that grief is normal and natural, but we have been ill-prepared to deal with it. Grief is about a broken heart 
not a broken brain. All efforts to heal the heart with the head fail because the head is the wrong tool for the job. Most of the comments that grievers hear following a loss, while they are intellectually accurate, are emotionally barren. So people try to say things sometimes that will maybe offer comfort, and they might be true or at least in part true, but they're really just trying to fill the the air space to be able to make a comment or say something that even becomes very commonplace to hear, but it's actually can be painful to receive. Something that people use on Reddit and stuff like that to emphasize that sort of thing is the phrase thoughts and prayers kind of offered up as an empty sort of just gesture. So what are some things that you should avoid saying that are empty like that? Or what what are some strategies that we can use? There are a handful of different ones that specifically, I know we've mentioned here that grief can pertain to any loss or any um, situation of pain like that. But for some of the ones that speak directly to death, um, saying things like, be thankful you had them as long as you did. I made Samuel just roll his eyes. You're missing <laughs> the, the actual visual here whenever you have podcast mode. But saying things like, they are in a better place or they had a full life. Um, heaven needed another angel. Todd might, <laughs> Todd might really roll his eyes on that one um, with his job as a pastor. <laughs> That's yeah. It, um, we're so used. I mean, as a culture, and speaking specifically to my job as as a pastor in the church, and I don't assume anything about that except to say that there's uh, uh, there's this window right of like care we give people who are going through any kind of grief or trauma it's usually it might be two weeks like this intensive two two to four weeks of care and then you as the person suffering the loss whatever it is are expected to get over it right because it's out of my mind because I've moved on is because it's not my grief, but you, I kind of expect that you should also get over it as well. So things like, um, uh, regardless of what kind of grief it is, whether it's death of a loved one or an identity or a dream or marriage or whatever, it's, you know, anything that is, um, that even smells of, well, isn't it time to move on? Get over it. Shouldn't you be over it by now? Um, um, it could have. It could have been worse. Um, or, you know, now ignoring it to even not talking about it is a way of saying um, it's not important anymore, and you should you should kind of be moving on now. It definitely seems like some of those phrases are coming through a lens of a little bit of finality, kind of like that heaven needs another angel kind of finality, but also one that just isn't really compassionate and really doesn't see the other perspective, but rather um, minimizes it. That's the word I was looking for. Those Mm. kind of things like, oh, well, they had a good life or... It was probably their time, you know. They're not hurting anymore. That's that's kind of ways that you're minimizing the situation. And like Dad said, you get those two weeks of meals where your community is like, how can we support you? And after two weeks, it's kind of like, okay, well, I made you a lasagna dinner, aren't you? <laughs> well, Over I've got it. my own life with right, my right. own stuff, and I forget that That you're going through that's usually what it is is i i'm just forgetting i'm not thinking about your loss because i'm going through the day-to-day in my own life i wonder if some of it 
doesn't necessarily have to mean you should be over it by now as much as it is. Could it possibly also be that it's not sustainable for us to continually offer hmm. meals for the year or 10 years that it takes to, sure. I mean, cause we don't know how long someone needs ongoing support and maybe one way to be more sensitive around that concept is to be thoughtful of others and mindful of, I know specifically like anniversary dates, birthdays, um, remembering what time of year or whatever for someone that you're close to that you acknowledge that time and that you ask them how they're feeling and you touch base and connect with people um, because it might not be sustainable for us to continually offer very concrete, tangible support. We might have to step back a little bit for the sake of everything that we juggle, but knowing that they still are in a very sacred space and that that space might go on for quite a long time for people. It can take years to grieve. Uh, there's this one author I love. Her name's Lauren Winner, and she wrote this book called Mud House Sabbath, and uh, she teaches at uh, Duke Divinity School, and she she talks about um, uh, the discipline of grieving. Uh, she talks about it from a, a, a Jewish perspective and how born in in the or built into this Judaism is this I, this both a, a daily, weekly, monthly, and annual time of grief, as opposed to kind of our. Uh, our, our Western way of thinking is this: is it is quick fix. It is a, it's out of sight, out of mind. It, there, but there is a there is a rhythm to grief for both the person grieving and for those around them. There's also a uh, winner talks about how there's this communal aspect of grieving, where we, as a community, come around the person who's grieving the loss of 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 a loved one in particular. Some other phrases to just be aware of that we probably throw out too quickly. Saying the phrase, I understand how you feel. Uh, We really never fully do understand someone else's experience because it is uniquely and personally their own. And so while we want to listen and find um, ways that we can relate and enter in, and share empathy and compassion together. Um, It's also just a good idea to provide their own unique experience and let them have their space to have it their own, in their own way and to express it in their own way. One of the um, most invalidating phrases that Brene Brown points out to us to not say is at least. Hmm. Well, at least, you had as much time as you had. Well, at least you've got a job at all, or at least, and it's just a way of making light of the pain or the challenge or frustration. Minimizing and and denying the pain and the challenge, the frustration. So kind of catch yourself. Maddie's really good at this with me whenever we're talking. If if I say the phrase, at least she'll call me out on it every time. <laughs> so, <laughs> but it's just something to be aware of that we can sometimes fall into. I can kind of sense that we're moving into kind of a more positive view on things. Like we have a list of things that we shouldn't say, but what are ways that we can be supportive? And I've actually been thinking about it off air of ways that we can be supportive because I've noticed that I respond too quickly in kind of that list of no's. I think that I have done that previously. And so consciously over the past couple of weeks, I've been trying to do that. And one strategy I found worked for me at least was getting the small talk out of the way first. Like, how's the weather? How's your favorite sports team? And then asking how they're doing. Instead of just going like, hey, what's up? It's like, oh, nothing much, because at at a certain point, it becomes a hello, a version of a hello. But if you wait later in the conversation to say, like, hey, how are things going with you? Like, what's really going on? 
I've found to be more effective that people aren't just like, oh, it's all good, you know, because you've already kind of done that icebreaker. Um, what's interesting, sorry, I'm going to nerd out real quick, with communication theory is that every single conversation follows that trend of some version of a hello, an icebreaker, a deeper conversation, and then some sort of goodbye. And so to get past that initial hello and icebreaker to just get into the deep conversation of how are you doing, every conversation will follow that pattern. So you have that ability to. I like that. Just the awareness that it might not be the thing that you want to lead with to ask, how are you really doing? But after you've been with someone and kind of got through the icebreaker conversations, the lighter topics, then then take a chance or take that moment, that opportunity to go dive deeper. I think you can be very specific with what you're diving deeper about. Right. I mean, like, um, how how are you doing about the loss uh, of your mom or your your brother or how, how are you how are you handling what's going on with with where you are in your job or with prospects at school being specific in your questions gives it, it opens the door because you're asking specifically about something and whenever you're given that question like how's life it's like where do i even start (laughs) i don't even know what life is like for me (laughs) in that question to myself let alone a question to a family member that i see occasionally but something else that i liked not to before the expert therapist comes in (laughs) was uh i'm hardly an expert yeah (laughs) Um, was dad uh, earlier off air was talking about um, using a conversation as an opportunity to like reminisce positively about a family member Mm. or a memory to say like, what did you enjoy? What did you think? Uh, I remember in grieving over the loss of our dog, like my childhood dog, that was something that I did that I felt really helped with the loss because I was having conversations with my brother or with the rest of my family members about what we enjoyed about our dog instead of like remembering the last couple days Mm -hmm. or something Mm -hmm. that your mind kind of focuses on or focusing on the, what you don't have anymore as as opposed to what you already experienced. Especially around the holidays because it gives you a built in thing to ask about. Like what were your what are some special memories about your 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 grandma around Christmas? What was your favorite cookies she made, or what was your favorite memory about X, Y, and Z, or what do you miss most about um, being in school now that you're a girl? Whatever it is, there's asking specifically. And the holidays gives you an opportunity to connect it. So maybe they can name that grief here and now. You know, does that make sense? I think it's important to just mentioning the loss of a pet that those who haven't experienced that might not fully feel that. But I know for our family, um, Lily was a golden retriever that lived to be 13 and to this day, she had passed away like three and a half years ago. And there are still moments I've found that when we're together with maybe two of our family members at the same time, someone will just say, I miss Lily. I miss Lily. And we have Luna and Berkeley and they are precious and sweet in their own ways, but they're not Lily. And you know, one of the things that surprised me whenever she passed away was just how painful it was. Like I, I anticipated it would be hard, but I didn't know that every little step of her day, I would be feeling a sense of emptiness or loss from knowing that she'd be drinking water out of her bowl and you would hear that sound or when we're when we make cookies at our house when the sound of the mixer goes on 
then the dogs always knew to come running to have some of the cookie dough. And it was funny when we got Luna because um, she didn't know what all the hype was about. Like Berkeley came <laughs> running for, we're making cookies and Luna's just sitting there like, I don't know what is so exciting about this. And now of course she's learned and it becomes part of the routine too. But just each moment of the day that you're used to having that pet be there, whether you're coming home from work or you're taking the walk around the block or you're letting them outside before bedtime or whatever, each moment of your day is marked by that pet. And those pets are often the ones that we go to for comfort and companionship and cuddling and playing and throwing a ball or being outside or experiencing nature. There's just so many memories that can be wrapped up um, together with our pets and they really are family. And so when you notice others that are going through the loss of a pet, that's a, a very deep pain. That kind of brings me to that concept of waves again that we were talking about earlier, how even now we still talk about like our, our childhood dog in small waves that happen. Like mom talks about her drinking water a lot. That's big for mom. It, and it's interesting too, because recently I've been kind of like reminiscing about great grandma Minch who passed away whenever I was old enough to remember her as from like a childhood standpoint, but I was still pretty young, like 12 or 13 years old when great grandma Mitch passed away. But it's interesting how it, it comes in weird waves in ways that like, um, I just didn't anticipate, especially for something so old because that for me is 12 years ago. 10 over a decade ago, which is like half my life, but also, um, somebody who was an important figure within the family and still a memorable contact and like familial person for me, but wasn't as close as somebody I would have expected to grieve over. So it's just really interesting how years later by something that I don't even know if I processed correctly at 13 <laughs> now is still having effects today. I think it definitely does. Like I grieved the loss of my granddad that he was just an incredible person in my eyes that I loved, but I don't think I really felt the loss of his death until 10 years later. Mm -hmm. I started thinking about it then and I have over the years remembered him and different aspects of him that still warm my heart. And he passed away when I was 10. I think with both those stories, I think all three of them really, um, grief doesn't necessarily show up with like wailing and tears and, and gnashing of teeth. It's just, grief is just this, it can just be a sadness. It can just be a, a recognition inside you that oh, that's that's missing that's not here like it used to be and it's not marked by uh, the amount of tears you cry at any given moment or anything like that it's it's just oh there's there's a hole where there used to be something uh, there's an empty chair there's a job a, a lost job that where I used to have this ritual of going to this job that was an identity for me, it's changed and that's, it doesn't have to be full of tears. It can just be a, oh, that's, that's not there and I'm sad about that or mm -hmm. I don't know what's coming next and there's some fear around that. I wanted to know what, what are your favorite memories of Grandma Minch? Well, I did want to say whether or not this stays in, but just for the purpose of the discussion, uh, I, one of the ways that I coped with the loss of Lily and later great grandma Minch was just be willing to experience the wave of emotion that came over me because I wouldn't describe it particularly as sadness because my initial grief with like Lily, that was real sadness. Like that was pain from loss and later I saw it more of and you two know that I'm not particularly spiritual but 
I felt it as more of like an honoring of their memory or like a, I want to experience this moment of memory and of emotion so that I can properly reminisce and like honor their memory and stuff. So even whenever it happened with great grandma Minch, it wasn't necessarily a wave of emotion of sadness, but it did feel overwhelming. Mm -hmm. It was like, I don't even know how to process the input, but I was just like, I'm going to just take a second and listen to myself and experience the memories that are coming back up and the emotions too. And sometimes it's like just the warmth of knowing Mm. how much that person or pet animal um, even experienced something that really just meant a lot to you and being able to hold space for that of honoring that and recognizing it and allowing it to come back to memory and have gratitude for it, um, connecting you back into something that was really meaningful and that mattered to you. It's a way of embracing it again. Hmm. Yeah. One of the things that we have continually talked about is um, having safe relationships. And I think that is a great place for grieving to happen. Um, When we know that we are with people, that they understand us, they're authentic, they care for us, um, where we can just have honest conversations where we don't feel offended or dismissed or shamed because those kinds of dynamics will create more tension and distress. But in safe relationships, people know how to really be with us, that they are able to sit with us in our pain and they're not there to fix it. They're not absent from us. They're not distant, but they're just present with us. And, you know, we, we kind of brainstormed when we were off air, just talking about what are the things that have helped us in the past. And I think just being checked in on and knowing that you're not forgotten and, maybe being available to help meet some practical needs instead of saying, let me know if you need anything. We talked about how important it is to be more specific than that and say, Hey, I'm going grocery shopping. Can I pick something up for you while I'm out? Or I've made some extra soup or more food. And could I bring some past and share it with you just so that people know that there are people that care and that are there to be a tangible presence with them. Something that whenever I was looking, I was doing my own research on Reddit, which is kind of funny because it's just what people posted, but I wanted to see what the average person had to say about grief. And what they said was whenever they were experiencing grief, the biggest surprise for them was the shock afterwards. Just, yeah, are you really sad? And like just so much has happened and just feeling the shock and mom mentioned it off air as well. Like you don't know if you're hungry or you're thirsty. You don't know what you need. It's just a shock. And so for somebody who's a support to say, hey, I'm making myself some food and I want to make sure you're fed as well. Is is that something right. that I can help you out with? Oh, and you're in the midst of a trauma like grief, your ability to your higher brain function diminishes and you can't make decisions uh, your ability to make important decisions uh have i eaten that your stomach isn't might not tell you that it's hungry or you can't pay attention to that because you're focused on the grief or when's the last time you showered that kind of stuff you miss that general self-care you know just being still and we might need to open up to new traditions and new rituals and things that we want to make adjustments so that we can feel a new beginning and not feel like we have to repeat the same things that might be too painful to do that way maybe it's time to do something a little easier or a little lighter and switch things up a little bit Um, sometimes it's getting out of town or um finding ways to uh, do random acts of kindness or thinking of others, service opportunities, 
but always providing yourself with lots of support and self-care is so important. And if you need the help of therapy, that is something to welcome the opportunity to walk some healing and to have someone that's there to support you. I think that's so important. What I think of is that fear that we talked earlier, the fear of moving on, that you're leaving something behind, and that if you were to move on and be okay, then you wouldn't properly grieve that person and or that event or that thing. And I like the idea of, I guess like throughout this, I've become kind of a fan of cognitive behavioral in some ways. I don't think it's the end because I've done it and I think it has its limitations. But this idea of changing that mindset into you're not moving on, but rather building on top of what you're doing because it's not like, they didn't have an impact on you or that you aren't still being impacted by them or that event in day-to-day situations, but rather saying this isn't maybe the exact same thing that I've done, but this is a continuation of, this is an expansion of, this is an in addition to, because I'm not only, I'm adding their memory and their influence to myself. And I think that viewing this idea of new traditions is one that's really positive rather than one that's scary. And I know it can be scary as well, but to maybe think of it in a way of what if you had a special dessert that you did after your Christmas meal? That isn't too much to add on, but it is a new tradition that every year it's like, yeah, we get Superman ice cream every year. It's really weird. (laughs) I don't know what kind of tradition that looks like for you, but, um, I think that I like viewing it as a way of you're actually honoring their memory by collaborating with them. I like that it doesn't have to be separate and that one thing ended that you, I like that continuation that there is comfort to knowing that someone will always be with you and always be part of your story and always matter to you. That doesn't have to be something that you lose. And there is pain that someone might not still be with you presently and that does hurt and at the same time they are very much with you in your heart and your experience and who you are who you've become because of who those people have been in your life that you get to hold on to and you get to keep the rest of your life i like this uh notion of practicing gratitude it helps do that building by remembering the things that we're grateful and thankful for from that that job, that identity, that person, uh, that pet, that that thing that has ended or changed. Uh, it can be gratitude for just, I'm thankful for what that taught me. I'm thankful for um, the way, uh, you know, Grammy used to wrap her presents. I'm thankful for whatever. Building that list, just having an ongoing time of gratitude in my head. It's helpful for to honor my grief and to also so way of coping with it dealing with it and celebrating it as well mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um so as we near a close um if you are feeling like this brings up something for you and you want to share it with um mom and i and the rest of the community roots crew feel free to email us um, and reach out. Or if you had a funny story of a relative or something that you want to share, definitely contact us. We love building this community that is Community Roots, and you are definitely a member of that. So um, if that is something that interests you or you feel like you want to share something, email us at communityroots.pod at gmail.com. And we get it right to our phones. So it's about as personal as you can get um, with this medium. So please reach out. And check us out on Facebook and Instagram for different updates and articles and things that will encourage your heart and support you in your mental health. And if you would take the time to rate and review us, that would be great to help spread the news and share with others that we are out there as a free support to give to others who might be hurting. And we're ranked now.
like we've been saying, so uh, we need to get to that number one spot. We're used to being in Columbus, so OSU is number one. We have to be number one, too. <laughs> is there a way that people can write you a letter? Or you don't do that? P.O. box. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we don't do snail mail here. We're all in the 20, 2020. Anyway, we like to uh, end each episode with some gratitudes. Um, and I am actually grateful for both my parents. I realized halfway through this episode that this is kind of like a historical episode. It's a generational episode to where my kids can go back and listen to it. And it's a piece of history that exists capsuled within this MP3 file. Wow. Uh, what am I grateful for? I'm very grateful for this opportunity. I haven't gotten to do this yet. So it's very fun to, see uh, Samuel and Julie in this new element and see them uh, working together collegially and to be a part of it is very fun. I'm so thankful for the Community Roots community. Um, I was really happy and excited this week to find out that we were ranked, but also um, to have contact from uh, someone who shared and song for our playlist that they were interested in adding which was fun we do have a playlist on spotify if anybody is interested in some music that just kind of helps your heart feel a little bit soothed relaxed and some feel good music um but it's just nice knowing that there are people out there listening that we are reaching that this is helping because that is our hearts that we want to be able to give support to people so they don't feel isolated and alone yeah, it was funny because mom called me and she's like, do you know so-and-so? Because they just added a song to the list and it fits perfectly. So, um, Small world. Yeah, yeah. Mom definitely looks out for that kind of stuff. And I don't think I knew that person. I think it was a true Community Roots fan. So anyway, thank you all for joining us. Have a happy holidays. We will be back next week with Off the Beaten Path. And um, we hope that your holidays are great and safe. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye.